Welcome to the Snowboarding Podcast, All I Really Need to Know I Learned from Snowboarding. I'm Chris Rogers. And I'm Nick Alfieri. This is the podcast where myself and Chris talk about all the life lessons we've learned from snowboarding, not just the good ones, but some of the struggles we've had along the way. So please stay tuned for this week's episode. All right, welcome to this week's episode. We're chatting about our top tips for level one certification. Yep, the fact that it's the beginning of the season, we want to make sure that we roll through some top tips for each level, uh, whether it's a new hire going for their level one certification, or you can even think about this if you're a trainer training new hires who are going to be going for their level one certification. Maybe some tips they might want to know. And this is just things we've seen over the years running level one exams and doing new hire training that we feel like is really important for people. The level one's an interesting event because it is partial clinic. Our job as the ed staff at a level one event is to both create awareness and build understanding and then also evaluate movements and and make sure that we are holding a standard that if you get a level one certified instructor, you know that you're getting some level of of verification of quality at that level. So it's a really interesting event. And uh, I think we'll just jump into some of the, the top things we've seen that help people be successful at the level one. And then maybe a couple of pitfalls that we've seen that have that have really hurt people at level one. For me, I can jump in with some things to be, make sure you're successful with at the level one. Is I'm going to jump in with riding. Is we see that off-piste and carving seem to be a big hang-up for people in riding. Those are the two areas that we really see people come up short in. And that carving is probably one of the harder skills we have at level one. So carving being the definition is that turn where the tail follows the exact same path as the nose of the snowboard. There's not any wash happening. So really having the ability to control the the tilt of your snowboard and laying it in so you have a clean track. So making sure you're pretty practiced up on that because it can be a pretty hard skill to learn in three days if you're coming to this exam not already having that skill. So definitely spend some time practicing that. I would totally agree with that, Nick. I think when I look at at areas that that level ones often need some extra work, carving is, is one of the first that comes to mind for me. When you just go watch people ride, most general public don't have any idea the difference between carving, turning, uh, shredding, you know, like all these words get thrown around like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go carve some turns. And, and, and we in ASI and, and PSIA have a very specific skill where that term carving comes from and, and, and having that tail follow the nose through the path in the snow, leaving that real clean arc, that, that, that pencil line in the snow. Yeah. We get real specific about what that word carve means. And, uh, and I think that's probably a big learning curve if you're coming in as a new instructor and you haven't been around a lesson product or don't necessarily know that a carve is a turn, but a turn isn't necessarily a carve, right? Yeah, yeah, so, totally. So I think that, that probably is some of, some of what comes in there at the level one is, is new, new instructors who think they can carve who are just skidding turns. Yeah, so have a look at your track in the snow. And the track does not lie. That is something that's really important. Your track doesn't lie. If it's real thin and it's real easy to see that there's no skidding going on, yeah, if it's quiet, you know, that's really what we're looking for in that task. Often in carved tasks at the level one, it's the initiation of that turn where there's a little bit of pivot to get the board into the fall line and start the turn and then some edge set. Yeah. And and that, that that's something we can work work on for sure in the exam, but it, it starts from a, a knowing how to start that carve and, and then working from that back into the initiation and trying to really just tilt the board and create that edge set in the beginning to, to hold that carve. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Very cool. Chris, what would you what would you say are some things as far as movement analysis or teaching is concerned? One of the things that we see at the level one is people coming in without a lot of teaching experience, right? Yeah, totally. Maybe, maybe a week of new hire training, maybe only a few days of new hire training, maybe a handful of audits. But at the level two and three, we start to expect a lot of your personal understanding, your knowledge, your experience teaching to fill in the gaps. At the level one, we don't always have that. One of the ways you can be really prepared for your level one is to try to get at least a couple of weeks of actual teaching experience. So if you're a new hire going into the season, you get your audits done, sometimes there's some pressure to go get that level one before Christmas. I strongly encourage instructors to give it that couple of weeks, get through that busy time period, get through Christmas, and get that actual teaching experience under your belt yep. because then that's going to give you that experience to fill in those gaps. And man, I did this and this worked, this didn't work. And now going to the exam, you can speak to that. And so often in level one exams, we have a mix of experience in our groups and you'll have that where one of the candidates is able to say, oh, and I, I did this in, in a lesson a couple of weeks ago and another candidate uh, doesn't have that experience. You see how that that'd be a strength for sure. Yeah, I definitely think that experienced people who come in, like you said, tend to do well, but they also get more out of it. Something I can say for someone maybe who doesn't have that luxury for going into it is at least make sure you're up on our manuals and our content. Like that is that is such an important piece. And so if you can get the experience, absolutely get it. If you're stuck in a situation where the only exam that was open and available to you was one where you're just going to have to come straight out of new hire training and do that, get current with our progression. We have a progression in ASI that we start with. It doesn't mean that we expect everyone to only use that progression, but it's a starting point and that's what we're going to base all our teaches off of. And it's important that you know how those steps flow together so that you can then teach it. Something cool right now is that we have more and more resources available to those new instructors. So the new instructor's guide and the level one e-learning that are available from the national website, as soon as you join PSIA and AASI, you have access to those. And, and those courses are designed to help bring a new instructor up on our terminology and give them an idea of what's going on in, in our world. And then that level one e-learning is a great pre-course for a level one exam and, and is really going to help you understand what you're going to be evaluated on at the exam. How long does it take to do the level one e-learning, would you say? Uh, you know, I think if you're if you're new to that information, it's going to probably take a little uh, around an hour to complete. If you're familiar with some of it, if you if a lot of it got covered in new hire training, you'll probably speed through it a little bit faster. Yeah, very cool. I think that e-learning is something that's exciting that we're doing more and more of. And I think it's great that, especially at the level one, having people come with a knowledge base of what some certain things we're asking for them to do are. Uh, something that I see for movement analysis is simply just start watching snowboarders. Whether it's a video on YouTube, whether it's on the hill, whatever it is, look at what their body's doing and look at what their snowboard's doing. Can you pick out, and it doesn't matter if it's the right words or not, not that there are right words, but just see if you can verbalize concisely what you're seeing go on in their snowboarding. And that's really what movement analysis is, is just spending time at the level one, watching other riders and coming up with a few really key common mistakes that people make and being able to understand the impacts that has on the snowboard. What you said is so vital, Nick, that movement analysis is not something we've created in skiing and snowboarding. It's the process of watching biomechanics and how that relates to equipment, how that relates to snow. And you can do it when you're watching hockey, you can do it watching sports yeah, on TV, you can, you can do it from the chairlift anywhere you are, you can be practicing those skills. And instead of just looking at your phone on a chairlift, 
watch what's happening around you and, and yeah. can you figure out and you know whether you're a skier or a snowboarder can you make the observation on the other equipment you know you've got the opportunity to watch hundreds of skiers and riders per yep. day and just pay attention what happens when they're moving pressure foot to foot that's going to do something different on skis than it, it does on a snowboard yeah but it still has an effect on the equipment and the more you can start to hone your eye early the better it's going to make you as an instructor and the more that's going to prepare you for certification do you have you said you talked about you don't even have to do it on the same sport you can do it on hockey. Do you have any other sports you do MA on? Or do you catch yourself doing movement analysis on certain things? Hockey was the first one I noticed. Really? I remember like <laughs> I was training for my level two and I was uh, I was sitting watching a hockey game and something about the way the player moved, it just clicked in my brain and I was like, oh, the, our model works for this too. And yeah. you know, it's like still just a observation and evaluation. And then you, you, you know, you, I didn't know, I don't know a ton about hockey, but I was able to say like, Oh, if the rider had moved their, or if the skater had moved their weight a little bit over their left foot there, they, you know, they wouldn't have caught that ice and fell over, you know, whatever yeah, that sure. was. But, um, but yeah, do you, cause yeah. it is, it's funny there, there's that, there's absolutely an interplay between what we do on snow and what everyone does in every other movement in the world. Yeah. I watched it with uh dirt biking and like motocross and stuff like that. And like body position is real key in that. And just getting my head wrapped around like the different types of body movements they were doing and where they were throwing their weight on the bike to make certain things happen. And I just, it's like something I can't turn off now. I just, I just can't turn off. Whenever I watch a sport, whether it's like football, anything like that, I'm constantly looking, I feel like it, like how their body moves and how does that relate to snowboarding? And is it something similar? And I even had a trainer when I was, when I was younger getting involved that he, I heard him talk to someone being like, I'm telling you, you, you won't be able to turn this off in your brain once you get it going. And he was totally right. At least yeah. for me, he was. Yeah. I think the most important thing coming into the level one exam is having an open mind. Uh, we, we get siloed really easily. And I remember at my level one exam is when I found out that PSIA and ASI were the same organization. Like yeah. I signed up for my snowboard level one and I didn't even know that it was the same company that put them on. Right. And, and I think one of the places that I see people struggle is if they're too locked into their resorts teaching progression or the way that their resort does things which comes with a lack of experience. If you've only been through your resort new hire training, you might think that's the way it's done everywhere. And, and the thing with our level, with all of our levels of certification is they're certifying you to teach anywhere in the world under the name ASI. Yeah. And so, or, or under the name PSIA. And so we have a leveling progression that goes through levels one through nine. You go to New Zealand, it's one through six. Some resorts, even in the, in the Rocky Mountain region where we use this one through nine scale pretty consistently, some resorts in, in our region have levels one through six or one through eight yeah. or one through seven. And so coming into the exam, know that you're going to learn stuff. And, and it might be about stuff that you think you have a pretty good grasp on, but things are done differently at different resorts. And our job is to train you to teach at any resort. And you might go to a resort that then leaves out a piece of our progression because it doesn't work well with their terrain or there, you know, there's all sorts of little details that are going to be different from resort to resort. But the key is our certification is designed to, to make you a well-rounded instructor that can teach at any of those resorts. And so if you come in being like, well, that's not the way we do it at my resort, you're going to have a different experience. And if you come in with that sense of, well, that's the way we do it at our resort. And I'm pretty interested in hearing how other places do it because maybe I want to go work somewhere else some other time. That's a huge point. And the fact that the progression isn't the end all be all that we present, you know, it's, it's totally based on terrain that you have available to you. So keeping that open mind is super important. And the last thing I, I would say is 
don't be afraid to ask questions. Like sometimes you, it's really easy to sit in the back and kind of fall, fall into the back and hide behind other people or get nervous about asking a question. Your level one is supposed to be a learning experience. It's supposed to answer questions you have. Whatever it is, please talk to your examiner, whether it's like an industry question or a ski school question or a progression question or a riding question. Please ask. Yeah. I know that I personally, I think a lot of us view, like when I'm the clinic leader for a level one, I view my job is to help get you to the level. Yeah. And, and people don't always pass. And and that is like it is an exam at the end of the day. But most often when I, when I see people that don't pass, it's not because they couldn't do it, but they didn't ask for help or they weren't willing to try to change. Yeah. And And so if you come in with that open mind and you ask for help and you ask questions and you're willing to try new things. Yeah try new movements, see how they apply to your snowboard, take feedback, you know, incorporate that feedback into your riding. More likely than not, you're going to be successful at your level one. Totally. Leave your ego at the door. Yeah. Right. Leave your ego at the door, be ready to learn. And that's, you'll be sweet. You know, you say this a lot in clinics. I, I, I hear you say this a lot in clinics and, and I've always really enjoyed it. The be safe, have fun, but don't be so safe that you don't have any fun. And, and I think <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what our level one is, uh, in a sense, is we're there to create a safe learning environment, bring people up to a level, have some fun, be safe, have some learning. Yeah. But we're not going to do either of those so much that we don't have fun. And I think, you know, if, if everyone walks into their level one expecting that they're going to have fun and they're going to learn, that's what, what I would hope is the message going out about the level one process. Yeah, very cool. I couldn't agree more, Chris. Um, so that's us for this week's episode. I know we talked a lot there, but please, if you have any questions about anything we've said, or again, as always, any future comments or questions or concerns about anything, please email us at learnedfromsnowboarding at gmail.com. And next week, we'll be talking about top tips for level two. The big level two. Yeah, the big level two, which I think is a really crux piece of what we do. And it's kind of what can either turn people off or set them on a path to be involved with us for a long time. So, Sweet. I can't wait to talk about level two next week. Yeah, me either. Awesome. Thanks so much. All I Really Need to Know I Learned from Snowboarding is a podcast by me, Nick Alfieri. And me, Chris Rogers. If you have thoughts on this week's episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can continue the conversation with us and other listeners on our Facebook page. You can also email us questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to discuss at our email address, learnedfromsnowboarding at gmail.com. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe, write a review, and help others find our show. Thanks for listening.